Welcome to the podcast. Uh, today's special guest, NBA champion Channing Fry. Channing and my wife, uh, Nicole, actually went to college together, University of Arizona. Channing's a super humble guy, came on and spoke to us today about his uh, video series podcast, his you know, work with the NBA, uh, his new wine business, his family, his four kids. Um, really down to earth, really gave us a nice insight into what he's been doing uh, the past few months and, you know, what his goals are for the future. Loved hearing about Channing talk about the future of the NBA and where he thinks all of this fanless basketball is going. So without further ado, let's, let's speak to Channing. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Uh, special guest Channing Fry. A uh, little backstory, uh, Channing and my wife actually went to school together, College U of A, Bear Down, I guess that's what you guys say. All day, all day. <laughs> um, and you're actually, you actually grew up in Westchester or you just born in Westchester? No, I was born in White Plains and then uh, my family lived there for a couple months and then my dad got a job uh, actually in like Boston, Massachusetts or somewhere in Massachusetts, but we lived in New Hampshire for four years and moved out to Arizona. So I wasn't in there very long. Okay. You know, my parents at that time, like 1980s, early 80s, were following the job. So we just moved yeah. out to Arizona and then ended up kind of grinding from there. And then That's your cousin went to my high school, which is funny. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Tobias so, Harris. And then, of course, the Knicks. Oh, yeah. Was, uh, so tell us about, you know, you're, you're listen, New York, we're, we're back to building, right? You know, we're in phase two, we're getting things going. So tell us your, your what you love about New York and you kind of, what your memories are of the city? Uh, I think the biggest thing about New York is how informed people are. And I, I'm just going to go from a fan point of view. When you go to cities where fans have been fans for generations, they have generational knowledge, right, of the team. They have a reference point of, like, what they like and what is successful. And um, for them, the Knicks have attached themselves to those early 90s teams with Patrick Ewing and, Anthony Mason and John Starks and those guys. And it's hard for the Knicks now to ever accomplish that uh, because the game has evolved. Um, but I feel like as a fan of the Knicks, they, I'm just going to be honest, I think they deserve better. Um, you know, for me as being on this side and playing for the Knicks, I felt like through that Jeremy Lin era when they had, you know, Mike D'Antoni, when they were with Carmelo, those are the years where you were really supposed to, as the organization, embrace that team. You were going to the playoffs. Um, you had guys that loved the city, that represented the city um, as well as they could, and that the fans got behind. I think, um, you know, always going for these big brand name guys is not necessarily the New York way, right? You guys want somebody that's going to put their hard hat on, get in there, grind it out, but at the same time, play with a sense of urgency because everything in New York where people walk, nobody's walking slow, right? Nobody's driving slow. Everything is like, we need to get this done now. Um, there's a sense of urgency. And that is what I loved um, playing in the garden was that history, that urgency, that um, every night was going to be the best, right? Every night was going to be the lights were on, on the court, but they were off on the fan section, right? Which is not normal for you know, any arena except for the Lakers. And Kobe was the one that started that, right? Rest in peace. But the Knicks used to do that all the time. And then Kobe made sure that the Lakers do it. So they turn off the lights where the fans are, and it's like you're in a stadium, uh, you know, like a, you know, like a theater. Um, so for me, just the fans, the, 
the city itself, the, the electricity of it, um, and the fact that it is so diverse. It's like, oh, you want vegan Ethiopian food. Oh, there's a spot down the street. You want six different types of bagels. You want, you know, Chinese food from, you know, tai Taiwanese food. You know, and that to me is just like, it, it changes you because it gives you a broader perspective of like what the world is like, but in one little island. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt there's been a lot of changes to our city. You're talking about Madison Square Garden, what people call the world's most famous arena. But, you know, with all this COVID changes and they're talking about fanless basketball, I'd love to get your take a little bit on if we don't have that, that buzz that MSG has. And I remember back in the 90s, I was a young kid out of college. I had season tickets to the Knicks all the way upstairs watching Starks and Ewing and Oakley yeah. and uh, – Anthony Mason, maybe rest in peace, all those great players. What's your thoughts on a fanless basketball? How the future of basketball, especially in the short term over the next year or so, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think for me, fans make more of an impact than we, as players we'd like to acknowledge, especially on the road. Um, but fans, players, if you're a real player, you love getting booed. If you're a competitor, you love getting booed, right? especially when you're like, people just hate you, right? Um, when you're on a crappy team and the fans are kind of cheering for you, you feel like you're the little brother, right? right? You're like, I'm, you know, like, forget these guys. But when I was playing with LeBron and we we're on the Cavs and we were just whooping everybody, we were getting booed coming through the tunnel and we would love it. We would love it to, to shut the crowd up. And so what I think is going to happen is the next, this bubble in Orlando is going to be a test. I think what fans are going to get is so much more viewpoints, sounds. Um, the interaction is going to be so much more uh, home-based um, than it is where you would go out. I think everything now is obviously for the player safety, for the fan safety. I think in the next year, will we get back to having people in the stadiums? I think so. Um, I think there's amazing people doing amazing things to kind of quell this big insurgence of, of what's going on with COVID. But I think that in the next year, we'll get back to the, obviously things are going to change for, for good, but I do think that we'll be able to get back. But right now you're going to get different perspectives of the game. Everybody's going to be able to sit on the, on the front court. Everyone's going to sit courtside seats, but from at home. And so I think that perspective is going to transfer over when we do go back into the gyms, people are going to say, I want to sit close. Right. People are going to the interaction is going to be way different than what it was before. And I think there's going to be appreciation for how fast these guys are moving, how physical they are, how big they are and how skilled the game of basketball is. But is this I guess the question is, is this the future of sports? And it's you could see changes, you know, podcasts similar to what you have there out on the West Coast. Is this the new insurgents where you'll get this front row seat on TV? Maybe the players are mic'd. You get to go into the locker rooms where if you're just in the stadium, you don't get any of that. And then really a lot of the excitement will come from podcasts like yours. You know what? I think why podcasts like mine and, and other guys, you know, obviously J.J. Reddick and then you have Knuckleheads with Quentin Richardson. The reason that people love them is because we've been there, right? So we were in the locker room. We have relationships with these guys. We're asking stories that most reporters can't get. When a reporter says, hey, you know, how'd you play today? That's a very broad statement, and they're just, you know, interaction. But when, when somebody comes on my podcast, we're like, hey, man, do you remember that time where Vince did this in practice? We get to give the fans an experience 
that is not like anything else. Like it is like you're with us, right? You're, you're in the locker room with us. When I'm telling stories about Vince Carter and he just retired or about when I was playing with Vince Carter, Grant Hill, Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire, like people are like, what? I completely forgot about that team. It brings memories. And then those memories bring nostalgia and it, it becomes better listening. So it's like, for me, when I want to become great at something, when I want to learn about something, I want somebody that's been in that locker room, no matter what it is. And, you know, transitioning now, I'm, I got my own wine label. Um, I want to listen to winemakers and what they like and what they don't like and what were their favorite years. And, you know, it's hard for me to listen to a reporter talk about wine when I'd rather listen to a winemaker talk about wine. And we have that access now. Yes, Lennox. Hi. Sorry, my youngest daughter. <laughs> All good. So what, do you, what are some recommendations for maybe the people that are starting their own podcast or video series that maybe, you know, don't have your background or you're, you're in, you know, with the professionals? But even, listen, even, you know, lawyers, doctors, yeah. just generally speaking, you know, what are some things you've learned? It's, you know, number one, a- consistency, right? In uh, number two is perspective, right? And then I'll go back over these you know, consistency, perspective, and I would say you have to kind of be humble about it, right? So number one, consistency. Do it. If you're going to do it once a week, do it once a week. If you're going to do it twice a week, do it twice a week. And it doesn't become monotonous because the way Instagram works, the way podcast works is people, people may not see it the first week, the first month. But all of a sudden, they might catch you episode 12 and say, oh, crap, I got 11 to catch up to, right? But if you do it once this month, once that month, you know, every all sporadic, people can't catch on to it. And they can't listen to you evolve, right? You know, if you listen to an audio book once or randomly, it's not going to really, you're going to have to go back and forth. If you are consistent with your podcast, people are going to kind of catch on and it's going to give, it's going to make your book, you know, your, your book of information, your book of videos, that much better. Um, And perspective, Um, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a banker, whether you're a plumber, you have information that people want. Information is the best thing that's happening right now. Now, sometimes there's too much information, right? From too many people. But if I want a specific answer, I should, as your listener, be able to go, oh, that's episode six. He talks about this there. So from your perspective and from mine, I have to see as a fan, what do I want to hear, right? As a fan, what do I, what can I only get from you, from your perspective, right? Because I want to be able to reach out to different lawyers, to different doctors and get information to use and make myself better. If there's a funny, if I was a fan of the Knicks of 05, um, I would talk about those teams, about Nate Robinson and David Lee. And so now I'm getting David Lee fans to listen to my podcast. Now I'm getting Nate Robinson fans to my podcast, Knicks fans. And so your perspective on, um, you know, what the fans want is extremely important, but it also is great that it's coming from you, which is you're different, you know? Um, Damn. And I forgot what the third one was. Humble. Oh yeah. You got to be humble. The podcast is not about you per se, not you personally. It's about you, like, it's about your information and your knowledge and how you're willing to give it. So if you're like, well, I do it this way and my way is the best, 
you're not gonna be very good. You have to say, well, my way is this way and I've had success because of this, but I'm willing to learn. So let's bring in somebody who does it better than me or different than me that's had success. Um, because, you know, like, I hate saying this, but there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? And so different people have different tactics to be successful. So there's no, you know, you can't go out hating on people just because they do things differently, but have the same result. So that's what I've learned um, over my, I think we've been doing this four or five years now um, with my podcast. And that's what I find. And just have fun, man. Just sit and talk, have a glass of wine and talk. And you'd be surprised how nowadays people ride and want to listen to you in the car as their commute for an hour or they have a, you know, they're doing a workout. Um, less people, more people are listening to podcasts and informational things when they work out now than music. It's crazy. Yeah. You know? so I, I listen to podcasts every morning, you know, yeah. an idea you want to add value, right? But the nice way what you guys are doing is adding value, but in a kind of laid back, you know, enjoyable atmosphere. What about like, you know, for, for us as a, as a firm and, and, you know, different areas of business, you know, we try to find opportunity, right? Even, right. even during COVID Corona, you know, and there has been different opportunity. What, what kind of your, your, the business, the, the podcast, video podcast, how has it changed? And have you found a silver lining in, you know, for the business perspective, you know, maybe the fact that more people are home listening or how have you kind of angled things to, you know, transition for, you know, the, the new world that we're in right now? Well, I think for me, I, before COVID, I have a show on TV, on NBA TV called Handles. Um, and that show is actually Twitter based. So, you know, on ESPN, they show you the best highlights, quote unquote. For me, I listen to Twitter. I listen to what the people are talking about, what's most exciting. And I watch every single basketball game on Tuesday. Or wait, Thursday. Wednesday. Wednesday. There we go. God, it's been so long. So Wednesday night, I watch every single basketball game. And what I do is I take what Twitter is talking about, whether it's somebody's outfit, whether it's a dunk, whether it's the coach, whether it's a bad play call. And I take that and I put those highlights on my show. So I don't just talk about the Lakers and LeBron and the Clippers and those, those are exciting, but ESPN needs those stories to get them going because that's, they just kind of have recycled those things. I talk about the Grizzlies, the Nets, the Kings. I talk about all the teams. And so the internet is everyone's opinion filtered, sort of. And so basketball and TV and the internet are all going to be intertwined. And now they all are, are intertwined. We're doing Zoom calls now for TV shows. We're doing Zoom calls for meetings. We're doing, this is a Zoom call. So TV has turned into information exchanged over the internet or over Zoom calls. And I was already doing that. So for me, um, and doing the podcast, it's so much easier to get people to come on right now. Because now they're like, this is the new wave. When you get millions of people to look at your Zoom video, you're making it pretty pretty good. So um, I think this is just where video is going. Oh, I think this is where video is going. Um, and I think this is where um, it's gonna be amazing because I just learned yesterday that everybody in Orlando can't do interviews in person. So imagine having 20 people from around the world interviewing a player on a Zoom call. So, yeah, I mean, that's where we're at. Well, no, you can touch a lot more people, right, you know, easier. And it's just about, you know, like I said, being consistent. You know, we would have presentations with, you know, 50 people. Now we have hundreds of people on the line. Right? Yeah. Just 
and it'll change a little bit as you know the city's open and people are back to business um you know people won't be home you know people won't be working from home it'll be a little bit more difficult but it's still the same idea you know there's no reason i think this has all changed our culture for the better meaning that people are more receptive to it now right people are willing you know even if i'm in the office if i'm on the commute home you know i'll join a zoom call it's kind of now it's second nature people like the joke people are zoomed out but it's there's a there's a benefit to that for sure i think the the ability to touch that many more people um and to not be inconvenienced i think this time and just to look 10 years in the future i think this time hopefully this time that we are getting to spend as parents as fathers as mothers as i think our kids are seeing us work when they never get to see us work you know i think people don't understand that it's like when i'm in this room and this is my you know we're at a rental house right now when i'm in here my kids go oh are you working I'm like, yeah, and they're like, oh man, you work a lot. I'm like, yeah, I work a lot. Like, this is what I do. But they're interested and they're asking questions. And I think this interaction, we are always trying to go outside the house and go take these vacations and go there and go and do this. But I think it, we've actually like enveloped ourselves into being like, how can we make our home as awesome as possible? Whether that's, you know, doing arts and crafts, whether that's, um, you know, reading books. And I think having the ability to connect with somebody from the comfort of my own home is giving people access to people that they may not. It's just like, Hey, you don't need to dress up. You put on a polo. You probably got shorts on right now. And it's like, <laughs> let's talk about something. Let's exchange information. Right. You live in New York. I live in Portland. It, it took five minutes for us to organize this. So right. I'm excited to see what's next. You can talk to anybody. I can be like, Hey, you know, president, you know, ex president Obama, what's up? Like, let's get on a zoom call. Let me talk to you. He'd be like, yeah, I got five minutes. All right. What's up? Right, right. The barrier of entry is, is less, you know, so. The more and more yeah. I hear you speak, the silver lining for the NBA is almost like this fanless basketball will make this an international sport because the barrier of entry is so, think about it, you're in Portland on the West Coast, we're here in New York on the East Coast. Someone in China could be involved just as easily watching our games. For sure. And, and you know, basketball is already an international sport, but I, I think now it's like, it is so much more accessible. Right. It's it's not just going to be on TV. Right. I can watch basketball from my computer. It's going to be I can watch basketball from my my phone. And the fact that they're all in one place, all playing right on one time is going to be even like I don't think anything in the history of mankind, whether it's the Olympics, whether it's World Cup, is going to be watched as much as this is, because when you have 22 teams in one bubble playing game after game after game, people are going to just stay tuned in like it was the masters, but like on a ginormous, ginormous level. So it's like the NCAA tournament. Everyone's going to know what's going on in each game. It's a limited crew, limited number of time. I think it's going to generate a lot of excitement and will be the silver lining for basketball as, as we move for forward. Sure. But see, even the, the NCAA tournament is in different time zones. This is in one time zone and they're all right there. So it's not like, Oh, I might miss this game. It's like, one game after another like an AAU tournament so that everyone is going to be able to watch every single every single game is going to be the game and that's unprecedented you know talking about Orlando I think it was before I think the first time I saw you in the city we were coincidentally at dinner too I think I told you a story Angela Maxi's the big steakhouse Ooh. and uh I think that was you first got drafted you were you were there I went over to say hello to you through through Nicole yeah, yeah. And the whole restaurant turned around like they were, you know, hey, Channing's here, everybody's excited. 
your thunder got like stolen with about 10 minutes when Shaq walked in. I guess oh, they were yeah. down for a game. So we're all in like a big room, but it's Channing on one side, Shaq on the other side. So maybe that's why you're, you're so humble. But um, no, listen, <laughs> I work with Shaq and Charles and Kenny. I see them all the time, and I'm still, you know, those guys I grew up watching. It's crazy. I work with Steve Smith. I loved his game. I talk to Gary Payton all the time. Uh, you know, Shaq and Charles. I grew up, I'm from Phoenix, so growing up, like, watching Charles Barkley and I'm like talking to these dudes and we're just ex Kevin McHale and we're talking all these sports. <laughs> uh, and it's just amazing that the wealth of knowledge that they have and that they're like willing to just give you. And so those dudes are the best, man. It's, it's been a blessing working with them. That's amazing. So you kind of touched on it before. Alan has three kids. I have four, you have four. Yeah. So a lot of the silver lining with all this has been, you know, family time. Give us like a little bit of insight. What, how, how have things changed? I know you're traveling. I, I was following you, you know, yeah. before COVID, you, you're up at 5 a.m., going to hockey, going to oh, travel, man. coming back for a hockey game, you know, all of that. So Yeah, so my son likes hockey, which was weird. But I love it because he played basketball and was kind of like, eh. Played football and was like, eh. We were like, well, you got to play a team sport. And it was baseball or hockey. And so he's like, oh, let me try hockey. He played one time and was like, get me sticks. I want to practice. And he's been doing it two years. His team did really well. So for me, it's all about the love of like finding what you love, no matter what it is. I don't care. My daughter loves horseback riding. Um, and we had to kind of stop that. But during this time for me, it's really been about evolving with my kids and my communication with them. Because I have a nine-year-old, he'll be 10 in October. And then I have a two-year-old. So like my communication with them can't be the same, right? I can't Google Gaga my two-year-old and then Google Gaga my nine-year-old. And so it's been tough because with kids, they go to school, they interact with 50, 60 other kids and they talk to different people at the house. There's six of us in this house. And so sometimes we get too comfortable with how we talk to each other, right? And then we get attitudes back. And so for me, it's constantly evolving to the sense of I go, like, instead of just telling them, hey, Hendrix, you need to do this, I go, hey, buddy we're all in this house we need to keep this clean it feels better if we keep it clean right or if, if you put your stuff away or you got to do for yourself like i can't make it i don't want to make you eggs all the time like you're nine you can make eggs i'll teach you how so i've taught my kids so much to the point now where my two-year-old like asked to keep the milk wherever she wants or juice on a level where she can get a cup and get it herself and i'm like holy crap they learn so much from what we're doing we've been taking walks they are getting back into basketball. They work out. Like I have a little treadmill in my house and weights, and they're watching me and they're like, yeah, dad, I want to work out too. And I'm like, what? But this time has been invaluable because of how much time I spent in the NBA going to work every day, thinking about how I need to get better. And so now every day I wake up, I think, okay, how can I make my kids better today? Like, do we need to read a book? Do they just need to chill? Can we just have a fun day and go hiking, you know? And that has been awesome for me to completely switch off from what I need to be better at every single day to like, how can I make my kids better every day? And that's, I thought it would be more difficult, but it's been a lot of fun. Yes, Lennox. For that one, my last Perfect one. Timing. Is Perfect timing. Mischievous little sucker of all time. <laughs> and she knows I'm in here, but she constantly knocks on the door just to wave at me. <laughs> So tell me a little, noise. give me a little, some personal stuff. Tell me, I'm a big California cab drinker. Tell me some yeah. of your favorite California cabs. I understand you're a big wine guy. Oh man, I think, so California cabs, that's where I started off really loving wine. 
Um, one of my favorite ones is Melka um, Matisse. And I went there um, for a private tasting with a friend and my wife. And it'll always be special to me because that's when we found out we were pregnant with our third child. So she was, we went on this, we were staying in... Um, Auberge? Oh. Solage, Calistoga? Mel, um, oh, I forgot the name of the city, but it's a city right underneath Napa. But we were doing this big wine tour. And so we went to Melka um, and had an amazing time. And that will always be one of my favorites. I'm a huge, I love brand. I think makes great wine. Staglin um, makes great wine. Uh, I had a nickel and nickel last night, which was delicious. Um, you know what? I'm growing on uh, Napa Chardonnay. It's just a little bit more buttery than I like, personally. But they make really good. Uh, Maya Camus makes great Chardonnay. It's a little bit more, way more citrusy. Um, but for me, I'm a big Burgundy. I'm getting into Burgundy more. Um, but I'm a big time Pinot Noir guy, Chardonnay guy from Portland. Um, I think right now Chardonnay for me, I think you can't beat Northwest Chardonnay, especially for the price. Um, and they're tasting well. Like my wife had a 2011 Seagrid from Burke. So, and we were like, are you supposed to drink a wine that's nine years old? And I mean, I'm telling you, it was like, this is perfect. This is perfect. Um, so yeah, getting into wine was pretty wild. It started as I just want some rosé and get drunk by the by the pool with my kids. To really starting to learn about it, to talking to friends who are in the industry, and I had an opportunity to uh, start my own brand and label, and uh, it's called Chosen Family. It's only it's very small. It's eighty five cases this year, um, and so what we do is just go around to some of our favorite vineyards. Um, so we don't actually have our own vineyard, which is kind of nice for me because I don't have to wait four years. And, you know, Pinot Noir is finicky as heck. So it's like there are really good winemakers uh, all around the country uh, that just don't get a chance to show their versatility of their grapes and of their winemaking. And so for us, we're like, let us be your megaphone, right? You're the voice. If you want to get it out there and show that you can show the versatility of your grapes and the versatility of your winemaking, We'll buy it from you. We'll work with you. And it'll be our label, our brand. But you're the one that's getting to do this. And so for me, um, it's pretty awesome. And I think our wine this year is going to be, I know it's delicious. I, the problem is I would drink it all myself. But, you know, you got to make money somehow. That's uh, awesome. But it's been fun. That's a lot of fun. It's great. So uh, we want to thank you for joining us. You've been, thank you, uh, it's been a lot of fun hearing about, that's you know, great. back what you're doing now. Yeah. Um, we just appreciate your time and wish you all the yeah. best. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. All right, Shannon. Thank you. Hey, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Make sure you check out Channing Fry's podcast, Road Trippin' with uh, Allie Clifton and Richard Jefferson. You can listen to the comeback on Spotify or watch our interviews on YouTube.